Have you ever noticed that the best stories are the ones where the hero or the characters in the story have to overcome in order to survive, have to overcome in order to be victorious, overcome fear, adversity, injustice. The Shawshank Redemption is just one example. It's a movie about a man. It's not a true story or based on a true story, but a man named Andy Dufresne who was wrongfully convicted of two murders that he, of course, did not commit, sent to a brutal prison, the Shawshank Prison, to serve two consecutive life sentences he didn't deserve. And the movie's been out for 22 years, and I don't feel like I'm hardly spoiling it at all when I say that he got out. I mean, look at the title. It's the Shawshank Redemption. The movie, And you learn in the first five minutes that he's wrong, wrongly convicted. So... The movie, though, tells you to never give up hope, no matter how terrible the situation is. Instead of losing hope, Andy remained calm and focused all of his thoughts, all of his energy, on this one goal, escaping from prison. And the vision of freedom that he had allowed him to endure his suffering. Good good stories are like that. They have some thickening of the plot that keeps you in suspense for most of the movie before it's resolved and the problem is overcome. In fact, I don't think I've ever, at least to my memory, remember seeing a movie where the plot line went like, once upon a time, there were some nice people who lived in a cozy cottage or a pristine little shire with all their friends and no trouble ever befell them, but only good and sweet developments, of which I'll spend the next 90 minutes telling you about, these good and sweet developments. And then they didn't live happily ever after, they lived happily the whole time. If I've seen it, or something like that, it's clearly not memorable. The reason we don't remember stories like that or hear them all that often is because that's not the way that life really is. And stories connect with us because it connects with the way that life is. And that's true for everyone, even the rich, famous, and powerful of this time and of every time of history have all had the same experience. They've all had pain and suffering whether it's in the form of addictions to drugs or alcohol, financial troubles, going from millionaires to broke. Some have anxiety, depression, which leads to suicide. Others experience brokenness in their families and their friendships. And of course, there's, there's a myriad of ways that this pain is manifested, that it's shown to us. But pain is a part of life. We shouldn't run into pain. I think we all know that instinctively. But we also don't have to ignore it or take pain on ourselves and deal with it just on our own capacity. So my prayer for our time this morning is that we would put our hope in God when facing pain because pain is a part of God's story. It's a part of God's great story. So I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 today to follow along. The words will be on the screen now, but they won't be later. I'll read it all the way through now. We'll unpack it more later. So if you have it open now, you'll have it there later. So last week, we began our study of 2 Corinthians. This week, uh, we actually dive into the letter itself. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, And that's just the region surrounding the city of Corinth, Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the, the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. And when we hear Asia, we normally think China, but Paul's referring to his Asia of that time, which is the west coast of what's now Turkey, just so you know. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope. And he will yet deliver us, you also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So this passage has three parts that we'll look at today. The intro, the teaching of Paul, and then the story of Paul, Paul's story. So the intro is found in verses 1 and 2. And last week we gave an introductory overview of Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church. So the intro this week is going to be the shortest of the three parts. It's just verses 1 and 2. And Paul's simply stating who he is, who he's writing to, and who's with him, Timothy. So Paul's writing with Timothy to the church in Corinth, but he also wants the believers around Corinth to get this message. So congratulations, you've survived part one of the three parts. So part two, the big idea of Paul's teaching is found in verses three through seven. And I'd summarize it, I'd, I'd give the big idea of the, as this. The God of all comfort comforts us so that we can comfort, so that God, he can comfort others through us. We see this in verse three. He's, he writes, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So everything he's about to say, it all starts with God, who he is. And that's the way that our lives operate too. Everybody is always asking and answering this most important question. Who is God? What's he like? What can I count on him for? Paul goes on to describe this God of all comfort. It's this God in verse 4 who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So affliction is a word to me that sounds, or it sounds like what it means, affliction. It's something that causes pain and or suffering. So think about, and I know this isn't fun, but think about how you're afflicted, how you've been afflicted 
recently? What's caused you pain or suffering? I think it's really important to at least start getting a picture of that in order to hear from God in the rest of this passage. There are a lot of different things that could cause pain and or suffering in your life. Poor relationships, being misunderstood, having people who are against you, enemies. Oftentimes it's situations we find ourselves in that might be an affliction. Like if you want something good, like a spouse, if you're single, or if you're renting a house and you want a home of your, your own, that you own, sometimes a difficult situation is something that you need, like a job. Or maybe you need discernment. God, what do you, what do you want me to do next? If you really are looking for God to answer that question, that can be an affliction, because it's hard to wait. You experience some pain and suffering in the waiting on God, in hearing from God. Maybe it's something else, uh, sickness, poor health. And there is such a thing as self-inflicted afflictions as well. That's like a bad habit or an addiction that you can't kick. And over time, as that addiction grows, it can decay your life. Just like having food and bacteria stuck in between your teeth can decay a tooth. None of us are ever too far from being in a self-inflicted affliction. And the point is this. There, there are more afflictions than I can brainstorm with you today. But today, we can see that the God of, and look at these adjectives, the God of all comfort comforts us in all affliction, no matter if your pain level is a one or a ten so that we can comfort those in any affliction. Those little words, those three-letter words, all, all, and any, are small words, but they have profound implications. What that means is that God has all the comforts you need, no matter what your affliction is, and that no matter what you bring to the table, if you've been comforted by God, you have what it takes to comfort someone else in any affliction, even if you've never walked down the road that they're walking down. So for example, I have a few friends who struggle with same-sex attraction. And the same friends are firmly committed to following Jesus. They struggle with it. They know that it's sin. They call it sin. They don't, they don't just you know, follow that desire and that attraction. They're more firmly committed to following Jesus. And I don't know that difficulty specifically, personally. I don't know it firsthand. But I do know how hard it is to follow Jesus, specifically in the path of sexual purity. So different struggles, but the same God who gives comfort. And I also know how valuable male friendship is in that, same, in that struggle. And so God can and does use me to comfort those whose afflictions I don't have. The God of all comfort comforts us in all affliction so that he can comfort others in any affliction through us. Another struggle that I don't have, but other friends of mine do, is singleness. I, didn't, I wasn't single for a long time before I got married. But I do 
I have struggled with trusting God with my future, especially when you want something really badly and when it's a good thing that you want. And so as I receive comfort from God in my affliction, God can and will use me to comfort those in any affliction. Do you see how profound the implications are of these little words, these three-letter words, all, all, and any? And they're really there. They're really there. God inspired those words. And so what that means is, no matter what your affliction is, it's not about your affliction as much as it's about God, the God who's comforting you, the God of all comfort. So Paul moves from talking about all affliction into a specific type of suffering. In verse 5, he talks about Christ's suffering. He says, Just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. And I can understand or see two different ways that Paul is applying what, what what that phrase, the sufferings of Christ, means. First, we see it in Christ suffering in his death. And 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for sins, and when he died, he suffered. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So Paul is saying here that Christ suffered abundantly on the cross so that you can have more than enough comfort. He, he, he suffered more than enough so that you could have more than enough comfort because he brought you to the God of all comfort. So that's, that's Christ's death. But Christ also suffered in his life so that we could have comfort. And we're called, as followers of Jesus, in this same way, this life of Christ. When Jesus talked about what it meant to follow him, he used teachings like this. I've told you these things, like that I'm going to the cross so that you can have peace. That was a very troubling thing when he told his disciples, the one that you've invested in, the one that you love, me, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be resurrected in three days. That was troubling to his disciples. But he said, I tell you this so you can have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So following Jesus is about having purpose in the midst of pain. It's about having peace in the midst of trouble and life in the midst of death. He also described following him in these words, unless you take up your cross, Unless you take up suffering and follow me, you can't really follow me. You can't really be my disciple. So you can't have this abundant comfort, this God of all comfort, without, without also saying yes to the suffering. And not for suffering's sake, but for Christ's sake. So that's how his life brings the suffering of Christ and the comfort of Christ to us. This is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we can comfort others. And I just want you to know, whether you're looking at the death of Christ or the life of Christ, the key to receiving comfort from God is Jesus. God does all of his comforting in all of our afflictions and any comforting that he does through you to another person, it better be focused on Jesus. Otherwise, it's not from the God of all comfort. Jesus is the key to God's comfort. 
And that doesn't, that comfort doesn't neglect or set aside suffering. It's comfort in the midst of suffering. Paul continues in verse 6, but if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Or if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. So Paul's saying here that both affliction and comfort, it's not just for you, it's for the good of those around you. It's for the good of your neighbor. And that ties in really well with what he just said about Jesus. Because everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, from his times of praying alone to the Father, to his times of speaking to the masses, to his death on the cross, everything that he did was for those around him. It was to comfort us, to bring us to God. And Paul even gives us the, the point of comfort. Look more closely at verse 6. It says, Comfort is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering. So basically, comfort is effective to make you better at suffering. Who wants to be comfortable? That word patient enduring is the Greek word hupomone, which if you're from River, you've probably heard River's pastor, Terry Williams, say that's his favorite Greek word. And to me, it's a fun Greek word to say, hupomone. But it's a really hard word to live. The word literally means to remain under, which means you have something weighing down on you or crushing you from above. And instead of crying about it or looking for a way out, you know that this is where you're supposed to be. You remain under that steadfastly. You endure well. So go back to that affliction that you started thinking about earlier. Do you just want it to go away? Or are you looking to become more resilient, more steadfast, closer to the God of all comfort through that? And believe me, there's nothing wrong with wanting suffering and pain gone. This week, I had friends who were sick. I prayed for them to get better and the sickness to go away immediately. But God is offering us something more than just letting us out from under the weight. He's offering us himself. And he's offering to change us, to give us more perseverance, more endurance, And if God has recently comforted you, share that with others. If God is afflicting you, share that with others. This is for your relationship with God, but your relationship with God is also connected to the people that God's put in your life. Because when we receive comfort, especially in Jesus, God wants to use that to comfort others. And that's exactly where Paul goes next. Paul gives us this teaching, and then... He's like, well, let me tell you my story of how this teaching was fleshed out in my life. Verses 8 through 11, we almost died for Christ, and we thought we were going to die. But God rescued us, and he's, he's, he will rescue us, and he's going to do it with you, with you alongside of us. In verse 8, he writes, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, 
of our affliction which came to us in Asia. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. It sounds like a pretty high pain level on the scale of one to 10. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but that we would trust in God who raises the dead. And so Bible scholars, commentators, they don't really know exactly what Paul's affliction was, but frankly, I don't think we need to know. Paul tells us what we need to know, that the suffering was beyond his ability to bear. But Paul saw the comfort of God in the midst of this suffering. And the comfort was so that we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but that we would trust in God. Even if we die, we know that we're going to be raised with him. That's the God who we're trusting in. And this is how God's power is made perfect in weakness. When we reach the end of ourselves, we are forced, and in a unique way, we're forced to rely on God. And it's at that point, at the end of ourselves, that we see that relying on ourselves any other time, it's silly. It's silly. We always need God. We always need to rely on him. And not just when our pain level is a 10 out of 10. So think back to your affliction. Have you considered that part of the goal, God's goal of this suffering, might be to change you, to train you not to rely on yourself, but to trust in the God who raises the dead? Keep thinking about your affliction as you listen to what Paul says in verse 10. God delivered us from so great a death, and he will deliver us, he on whom we've set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. So this is referencing immediately the death that Paul was facing in Asia. But those words, peril of death, those aren't actually in the Greek. They're not in the original uh, manuscripts. That's, that's the translators trying to make more sense of it. And I think that Paul's also referencing a greater death than he was face, facing in Asia. The death that we all deserve to die apart from Christ. So when Paul was facing death, he knew that the great death, sin, hell, the grave, what we all deserve as sinners before a just and holy God, God had taken care of that in Christ. So how much more can I trust him with what I was facing in Asia? Paul writes, the one who delivered me from the worst possible affliction is the one that my future is tied to. And so Paul says, on him we've set our hope. What would it mean in the midst of your affliction to put your hope in God? I think it would mean giving up your preferred future. Hope is directly tied to the future. So giving up your preferred future to God's preferred future. Maybe even your idea of deliverance to his idea of deliverance. And maybe he will totally take your trouble away. Or maybe you'll suffer the rest of your life in some way from this affliction. But if you suffer and grow in a deeper intimacy with God in the process, it's worth it. 
There's a big difference between the hope that I'm talking about and the hope that the world promotes. In Shawshank Redemption, hope was a big theme of that movie. But the movie tells about a man's hope in himself, his own ability to overcome injustice and adversity. The gospel tells a story about hoping in Christ, hoping in someone greater than ourselves, and that apart from him, there is no fulfilling hope. The rest just don't satisfy. Another way that we can put our hope in God in the midst of affliction is remembering that biblical hope, putting our hope in Christ, it is a sure thing. It's not wishful thinking. And Paul does this in verse 10. He says, God delivered us in the past. He will deliver us in the future and he will yet deliver us right now. And we can do that too. If you followed Christ, you can say, God delivered me out of slavery to sin. I was selfish. I was angry. I was indifferent towards God. I didn't care about people like I knew I should have. He delivered me from that. He forgave me of my sin. I know that he will deliver me. Totally, when I die or when Christ returns, I'm going to be made perfect. And in the meantime, he's still at work in me now, delivering me, changing me right now. He promised that he would come, and he did. He promised that he will come, and he will. So we can trust him right now. So focusing on what God has done and what God will do puts our present problems in their proper place. And that hope is a sure thing, but it's rarely an immediate thing. Romans 8, Paul says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we don't have, we wait for it patiently. He's saying hope is always something that we are waiting for that's out in front of us. And when Paul says we wait for that hope patiently, that's our, that's our friend Hupamone again showing up. We wait for it enduringly. And we can endure because we know that this is a sure thing. It's not just wishful thinking. And the third part of putting our hope in God in the midst of affliction is doing it in the context of community, spiritual relationships. That's what Paul writes in verse 11. After he says, and he will yet deliver us, he says, you also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So we aren't in this alone. But through prayer, God uses his ongoing deliverance of others in our lives. The comfort that he brings to me, he can bring comfort into your life, and vice versa. So God uses each other in our prayers to help us. And that's one reason you hear about small groups every single week here at Orchard. No Christian is an island. That's not God's intent for the Christian life. God is glorified and we are encouraged through relationships. So think about your affliction again. Who's in your corner? Who's walking with you through what's causing you pain and suffering? And whose corner are you in? Who are you walking with in the midst of their pain and suffering? That's really important. That's what it means to put your hope in God. And so let's conclude by backing up and looking at Paul's teaching 
and Paul's story. Do you see the similarity? Verses three through seven, in his teaching, he said, in our affliction, the God of all comfort comforts us so that he can comfort others through us. And then his story, we almost died, but God rescued us and will rescue us with you. Paul's story fleshed out his teaching. What do you know? Do you have a story like that that can flesh out what you believe? If you're a Christian, you do. You have at least one. When he saved you from so great a death, when he saved you from the punishment that we all deserve as sinners before a perfect God. You can't be a Christian without recognition of your sin as utterly sinful. It's repulsive. And knowing that you don't deserve to be forgiven, there's nothing you can do to earn that right to be forgiven. But believing that Christ died in your place, taking your wrongs, because that was his choice, that was his expression of love for you. Totally undeserved. And he gave you a perfectly right relationship status with God. That can never change. And because of that, you commit to living for him and under his leadership the rest of your life. That's your first great story. But unless it happened on your deathbed, and I have good reason to believe that's not the case for anyone here, that should not be your last story. That should not be your only story. We're not saved to stay in place. This is not eternal life insurance. This is eternal life to know God, walking in relationship with him, being changed day by day, little by little, becoming like Christ. And so maybe you don't have stories or as many as you know God's calling you to have, these great stories, because you've been avoiding discomfort. And I'm not saying you should be a masochist and seek out pain, but you've been valuing your own comfort above obedience to Jesus. If so, you've been missing out on experiencing God. But you don't have to stay there. Repent. Call that the wrong that it is. Living life your way, trying to avoid comfort at all costs, and rather just press into Jesus. And if Jesus calls you to do something uncomfortable, say yes and believe that it's worth it. Maybe you haven't been avoiding discomfort, but you don't have many great stories of experiencing God because you've just been trying to white-knuckle your trouble and take care of it on your own. You've been relying on yourself, putting your hope in your own ability, your own ingenuity to solve the problem. And if so, you've been missing out on experiencing God too. But that's okay. None of us live this Christian life perfectly. So the key is repent, call it the wrong that it is, and turn from that and tell Jesus you believe that his way is better and that he has better power, more power, even if you feel weaker following him. Or in the words of Andy Dufresne, our friend from the Shawshank Redemption, he says in that movie, get busy living or get busy dying. Get, get busy living for Jesus and dying to self. Those are the greatest stories that there are. Because in those stories, we overcome afflictions in ways that we never could on our own. We overcome afflictions that overcome us on our own power. 
Those are the best stories. And everyone that you see every day of your life needs those types of stories. The believers and the unbelievers around you. We all need to hear the gospel. And we need to hear the gospel fleshed out in our life, in our story, in our relationship with each other. Let's pray. Father, if there's someone here today that you're calling to follow you for the first time, give them courage to tell you and to tell someone else here that they know today. God, thank you for saving so many of us from so great a death that we really do deserve. Help us to trust you in whatever is causing us pain. Jesus, you are trustworthy. You write the best stories. Holy Spirit, please speak to us as we continue talking with you silently about our afflictions.